Good morning, Bridge. Isn't it good to be in God's presence? Like, just so refreshing to just sit at his feet. I love what Andrew kept saying was like, was the position, like our position, right? Like our position as sons and daughters of the king, our position as his creation, worshiping him. Don't pay attention to them. They're just not a distraction at all. Oh, I'm distracted. Okay. So good morning. I'm Pastor Rob, one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining and worshiping with us and opening your heart um, to worship him this morning. Um, this morning, I get, to, uh, I get to bring God's word to you. And uh, I love summertime sometimes because I get to speak on what I want to speak on sometimes, you know, which is kind of cool sometimes. So this morning, we're going to talk about the Bible. Is that okay? Is it cool if we talk about the Bible? You're like, Pastor Rob, we're in church. It's Sunday. Shouldn't we be talking about the Bible? Yes, yes, you're right. But this morning, we wanna, I'm gonna be, we're going to be looking at what the Bible is. What the Bible is. So title of my message is, the Bible is dot, dot, dot. So um, some of you might say, Pastor Rob, I know I can tell you what the Bible is. The Bible is like the terms and conditions page that pops up after I install new software on my computer. It's a bunch of words and mumbo jumbo that I don't really understand, or maybe I only understand a a portion of it. And I just want to scroll to the bottom and find the accept all and click that, right? Sometimes I feel that sometimes I felt that way about the Bible. And oftentimes we assume that if there's something important that that is that those terms and conditions are saying that somebody will tell me or the next page will say, hey, this is what you should should be should be looking at. And I, and I can identify with that because there's times when I look at the Bible and um, I can find it overwhelming. Right. There's times when I can look at the Bible and, and, and I feel confused or or like I don't understand some of the, the lingo or words that are in there. And it is, it is a little overwhelming. 66 books, 3,102 verses, 1,663 commands, 40 different authors, 3,237 characters. No, I did not count all of them myself. Written over 1,500 years. There's a lot in the Bible. Yet what makes the Bible palatable to me is that in all those commands and all those stories... There's one story, in all those personalities, there's one story being told. It's about Jesus. Every character, every genealogy, every command points to him and his plan of redemption for us. And so today we're going to look at, look at the Bible through the lens of Psalm 119. So if you would turn your Bibles to Psalm 119, um, I believe it's the greatest love, it's the greatest love poem ever written. And it's written about the Bible itself. Psalm 119 also happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible. Aren't you lucky this morning? It's longer than almost half of the other books of the Bible. I think it's intriguing, though, to me that the longest love poem in the Bible is not about marriage. It's not about children. It's not about creation. It's not about um, mountains or sunsets. But it's about the Word of God. And I believe that's so significant. So, like I said, it is the longest chapter in the Bible, and that and it's longer than thirty one of the other books of the Bible. So put your seatbelts on. Maybe you want to order some DoorDash or Uber Eats. 
Because we go verse by verse through 176 verses of Psalm 119, we're going to be here for a while this morning. Is that okay? (laughs) What? (laughs) No. We're going to, I have pulled out some portions of Psalm 119 to, so if you want to try to follow along, they're going to be on the screen as well that we're going to read together. So I'm going to actually start in verse 9 this morning, and we're going to read some portions of Psalm 119. So Psalm 119 verse 9, it says, how can a young man, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Verse 23 says, though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Verse 27 says, cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I might meditate on your, on your wonderful deeds. Skipping to verse 41, it says, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Skipping to verse 72, it says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than a thousand pieces of silver and gold. Verse 89 says, skipping to 89, it says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. Verse 99. I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders for I obey your precepts. Verse 105. This is a very familiar passage. Your word is a lamp for my feet a light for my path. Verse 109, though I constantly take my life in take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. Verse 111, your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Verse 116 says, Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Verse 133 says, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. And then the last verse in the chapter says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your presence that is in this place. Thank you for, your, for meeting with us this morning. God, as we delight ourselves in your word, Lord, this morning, I pray that this morning we would have a, a passion and a love for your word like the author here in this psalm. God, would you develop in us a passion for more of you? God, would you open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears? hear, see, and do what you're calling us to this morning. And it's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So much good stuff in this verse, in this chapter. Like, I don't know if you've ever, if you haven't read Psalm 119, I would challenge you, take it, read it, dive into it. But I want to explore some truths about what the Bible is that we see from Psalm 119. 
And so I think the very first thing that we see is the Bible is a revelation from God, is, the, is revelation from God. Throughout the psalm, the author refers to it, refers to Scripture as testimonies of God. He says statutes, he says law, he says precepts, he says rules, commandments, and, of, and he also uses the word, word of God. So these are all, he's all talking, he's talking about Scripture, he's talking about the Bible. Nowhere in Nowhere does this psalm or any scripture talk about scripture as, you know, human thoughts about God. Only as God's revelation to us. And and this is one of the most important things that we can learn. That when we open God's word, that it is God speaking to us. It is God's word. Sometimes our our culture relegates the Bible to a a group or a collection of enlightened thoughts about God, right? Like sometimes it's like, okay, if it's a history book about, about God, about religion, about the Christian faith. And honestly, I believe that sometimes as believers, that's why we can find the Bible frustrating because we view it as a collection or grouping of individual stories of individual, um, thoughts about God instead of one story told through the lens of many people's perspectives, lives, and circumstances. The story of God's pursuit for a relationship with his creation, you and I. It's not a collection of grouping of stories or thoughts. It's one story. The writer of Psalm and even Jesus believed this. Whenever Jesus spoke um, in the New Testament in Mark, he says, he, he says he, he's referring to a scripture from da- that David was writing. He said, David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, Revelation from God to, to David to, to write. What I want you to see this morning is, is that Jesus himself thought of this book as perfect. For it to be wrong or full of, full of errors, it would be like saying that God was wrong or made mistakes. And we know that that's not true. The writer in Psalms 1 and verse 89, he says, in verse 89 here, he says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It's in heaven. It's in the heavens. It's established. It's from the heavens. The Bible is a word that comes down from above, not a consensus of wisdom that rises up from below. Does that make sense? I say this because we have to decide ultimately whether we believe that the Bible is true. It's popular today in Christian circles for us to say, I believe in Jesus, for people to say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't necessarily believe everything that's in his word. I hear that all the time. I'm not sure if I believe what that scripture says. I'm not sure if that applies the same way. And I would challenge you, if you say that, maybe you should, look, should consider whether you truly believe in Jesus. Jesus saw himself as the explainer and fulfiller of what is written in his word, what is written in God's word. Never its corrector or editor. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18 that he would rather heaven and earth pass away than one piece of his word become untrue. The Bible is revelation from God. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. Number two, the Bible is life-giving law. The word law that the psalmist uses throughout the psalm, as in verse 72 where he says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than a thousand pieces of silver and gold. That word law is like a straight, that word law is like a straight edge. It's like, a, it's like something that you use to construct a building or, or, or to measure something, something that's, that's straight. And how many of you guys know what this is? A straight edge, yes, a straight edge. Square, yeah, it's a, it's a 
It's a, it's a square. It's, I don't really know if I know how to use this correctly, but <laughs> I've been told, no, I've used one of these a couple of times to like cut a two by four or something. But you use a square to measure and to mark to cut a straight line. You also use it to make sure you did it right, to make sure that the end of the board, if you're cutting it in 90, is square. Hence the reason it's called a square. If you didn't have a tool for measuring, measuring things, or you didn't have a tool for cutting a straight line, imagine the chaos that our world would be. Imagine what this building would look like. I'm just going to guess on this measurement. Uh, that's close enough. That corner is somewhat rounded, but it's not square, so it's okay, right? Imagine if we did this. Maybe edges, edges might be jagged. You know, the floor would probably be like rolly and rough and not smooth. We'd probably be falling everywhere when we were walking. Think about it this way. Can you imagine if we all had our own definition of what an inch was? Or what a pound was. Think about that. I mean, it's like going fishing and catching a 12-inch fish, right? (laughs) You guys have all heard that story. Or I only weigh 100 pounds by my definition, right? We all hope, wish that was true, right? Or no, officer, I was only going 25. My miles were just two times longer than yours. No matter how you look at it, It ends up bad. Think about that. God's law is a straight edge by which we measure all things in life. What is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And and let's be honest, many of us don't like others dictating to us what is best for us, right? Like, we don't like that. I think sometimes we naturally just like, you know, put up our gloves sometimes or put up walls. And, and, And... And we'd rather follow our own heart. We'd rather follow our own heart. But how do you know what in your heart is good and right? If you don't have a straight edge. If you don't have a measuring measuring device or a measuring stick or some way to gauge what is right and what is good. I believe that everyone in this room can admit that not everything that comes from our heart is good. Right? Can you admit that with me this morning? Think about it. When someone insults you in public... What is our impulse? Sometimes my impulse is like, I'm just going to bash his face in, right? Like, that's what my natural impulse is. Like, I'm just going to gloves up. What about when thoughts of sexual immorality go through your head? Our culture would say to shun the first impulse, don't be violent, but go ahead and do what makes you feel good, what's pleasurable. I'm not saying that these two impulses are moral moral equivalents. I'm just saying that not everything that's in our heart is good. How are we to know which impulses are good and which are bad? It can only be, it can't be what our culture approves of. It can't be what others say. It can only be by the word of God in our lives. See, the Bible ought to contradict you and make you mad sometimes. I'm a redhead, if you haven't noticed, right? And redheads are known for going zero to 60 pretty quickly. And there are times that I read God's word and it contradicts my natural impulse, my natural reaction. And sometimes I get upset at God and I go, really? Like, that's not really what that means, right? Like, I can change that. I can bend your word just a little bit, right? You tried bending one of these things? 
It doesn't bend very well. And this is man-made. It's not the word of God. I can bend it just a little bit. Sometimes I even try to reason with God. I try to reason my way around why my impulse, my natural impulse, is better than what his word says. Just because something comes from deep inside your heart doesn't mean it's good and right. I want to challenge you and say, if God's word never contradicts you, then you probably aren't reading a word from God. You're simply projecting your own perceived ideas about what is right and wrong and calling them from God. Verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. See, our guide, our, our, our guide, right? We would call this our guide, our measuring, measuring device. Our, our guide is not always our way. Not our culture's ways. Not what someone else may say is the way. It's God's word. It lights, it illuminates the path for me to take. The word is the Bible. The word is what gives you wisdom about things you cannot see. C.S. Lewis said that the law of God is like being lost in the wilderness when you set your feet, when your feet suddenly find the path. How many of you have ever been lost in the woods? You ever been lost in the woods before? Anybody? Okay. How have you ever been lost in Philly? How about that? (laughs) Suburban Eastern PA people. I've been lost in the woods, right? Like I grew up out in the country, you know, I I get lost in, I get lost in Lansdale some days and I have to use my GPS. So, but I've gotten lost in the woods, right? And, and not like lost, but there's been moments where I've been like, okay, I had to stop, think, I know that there's a, you know, I know there's a trail over here. I know that should be, should be that way. See, the problem with me is, 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 is I, I think that I know best sometimes, and I think I know the shortcut. And when you put those two together, it's not all, it doesn't always end up well, end up great. And see, when there's a path through the woods, it's pretty defined, right? Have you ever been out like hiking and you know, you're on the path? Like the path is defined through the woods. The path doesn't look like everything else around it, right? Like think about that. And I remember back whenever I was in college, I did an internship. And one of my first events at my internship was, yeah, I like got there at like 11 o'clock on, on like a Sunday night. And Monday morning, we were taking 40 kids hiking on the Appalachian Trail, 30 miles. Doesn't that sound great to you? Like, let's ignore the 40 kids. But, but I remember, I remember, I was amazed at how clearly that path was marked through the woods, through fields. Like, I'd be like, are we allowed to go through this? Like, it's somebody's field. Like, they're farming on both sides. But the path, the Appalachian Trail, was, was, the path was clearly marked. It was narrow, but the dirt was clearly marked as the path. And we would leave the path to cool off in the, in the, in the, in the stream or to take pictures on a rock. But the path was easy to find because it was narrow and it was dirt. The ground on the path didn't look like everything else around us. And see, when I think about that, I think about the narrowness of that path was not constraining to me. The narrowness of that path was actually liberating. It was freedom from anxiety of being lost in the woods with 40 kids. Like, think about that. It was freedom from, of, of the worry of, like, I don't know where I'm going. No, I know where I'm going. I'm setting my feet on this path, and we're going that direction. And wherever the path takes me is where I'm going. Right? Like, it was freedom to know that. And that is exactly what God's word is like in our lives. 
should be like in our lives. In the word of God, we get direction that leads us through the wilderness of career selection, in the, through the wilderness of relationships, through the wilderness of business decisions, through the wilderness of marriage, through the wilderness of parenting. Hello? I mean, like, I have an 18-month-old right now, and I'm like, some days, kid, I love you. But through the wilderness of how to, how to, how to raise him, every wilderness that comes in life, God's word lights the path and gives us the direction for how to go. The light of the word of God will illuminate and give wisdom about the things that we can't see. It's life-giving. It's, it's freeing. Verse 133 says this. It says, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Another version, the, the English Standard Version says, uses this word. He says, it says, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Whatever part of our life is not anchored in God's word is going to be shaky. Whatever part of our lives is not submitted to God's word in his direction will be shaky. See, our lives are a matrix of the relationships that we have, right? So our friendships, our jobs, our families, whatever part is not anchored is the part that the enemy will attack to try to bring us down. How many of you guys know what this is? You guys know what this is, right? It's Jenga. Yeah, good job. Jenga. This is a game that I've never been good at because, I mean, I'm not the most... um, What's the right word? Delicate. Yeah, I'm not the most delicate person in the room. And I see I'm like shaking. It's going to fall before I even get to do my illustration. But each block you remove makes the structure weaker, right? We We remove blocks. And so whatever piece of our life is not anchored in God's word, the enemy will come in and he'll tap on that and be like, you know what? That area right there, maybe it's finances. It's not anchored in God's word. Or, or maybe he'll say, what about your purity? Not anchored in God's word. Maybe he'll say, what about your friends? Your family, the people you do life with? They're, they're not really anchored in God's word. Maybe it's your integrity. Oh, oh. Maybe it's your integrity. That piece, you know what? I'm going to attack that. Satan says, I'm going to attack that. And then he taps that piece. And that piece. And that piece. All the pieces that are not anchored in God's word. And it brings the structure of your whole life down. Every part must be anchored in God's word. Every piece must be anchored in the word of God. I love what the writer goes on to say in verse 23. He says, The rulers sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on my decrees, on your decrees. The psalmist says that even when people are against me, even when powerful people, even when my family, my friends, my boss, even those who are in power are against me, the first place I turn to is to make sure my feet are anchored, right? That they're planted on the rock of God's word. Because even when others are against me, even when Satan comes to attack me, when my feet are planted, when I'm anchored in the word of God, when I'm on a firm foundation, I will be able to stand. Where do you turn to in opposition? Where do you turn to in tragedy? Where do you turn to whenever the enemy comes comes in and starts attacking the areas of your life that, that aren't submitted to God or are not anchored in his word? Where do you turn to in hard times when life happens? 
The only way to stay steady is when your life is anchored in God's word. The only way to know what to do or what next move to make is when your life is directed by God's word, when his word is a light to your path. When you say, I I don't care that my life, my path may not look like everybody else's path. My path may not look like the area that surrounds because I'm anchored in the word of God and I'm taking steps, each step that he calls me to. The Bible is revelation from God. The Bible is life-giving law. Third, the Bible is the story of God's deeds and promises, not our duties. And, and, and let's read in verse 27. It says, Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. Verse 41 says, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. I want to explain this a little bit. You see, the Bible isn't about what we do. And I think oftentimes we, we do that. It's your wonderful deeds. Meditate on what he's done. Your salvation according to your promise. Talking to God. The writer's talking to God. The Bible isn't about our deeds that we've done after reading God's word. And I think sometimes we get that confused. So I grew up in a church where often I thought of the Bible as a book of heroes that I, he, Hebrew, heroes that I needed to be like. Right? So Daniel, I mean, needed to be like Daniel, a man after God's own heart. And, that, and that's good. Or, or courageous as, as Daniel. Then as I got older, I began to think of the Bible as a list of rules to obey. Right? Like, I have to do this, do this. And when I do these things, like, something is, something's going to happen to me. And I've, I've arrived or something. And then when I got into college, like, in, in my older high school years and into college, I, it became a book of advice. Right? So, you know, you know, I would hear, I'd hear pastors say, I'd hear preachers say, you know, everything you're going through in life, like there's a solution for it or guidance for it in God's word. And I would hear that and I would say, okay, that, that's true. Like, don't, don't say that. I'm not saying that's not true. It's true. But I would say, okay, what advice does it have for me? And the Bible is not primarily any of those. It's a story of someone who came to rescue us because we had broken the rules and rejected the advice and we're so, now so messed up we can't put it back together again. That's what the Bible is really all about. The story is so big, so captivating. And when we finally learn it, the rest of our life starts to make, starts to make sense. The rest of our life begins to, to fall into place. The story of that love of a God that loves us so much is so captivating. It redefines who we are. The message of the Bible is not here are some practical tools that can help fix your life. It's fix your eyes on Jesus and then everything else starts to look different. It's not a book of duties that you need to do for God. It's a story of his love for you and for I. Have you ever read the Bible as a love story? Think about that. Whenever Christy and I were dating, like, we were a little mushy, gushy sometimes, you know. And we'd write letters to each other. And, and, and imagine this. Imagine if, you know, we get married and she found a box of unopened letters that she wrote to me. And she said, she said, what, what is this? And I said, well, I knew that you loved me, so I didn't really read any of those letters. How would that make her feel? Right? How does God feel when you know that he loves you? You know that this is a love letter to you, but we rarely read it. We rarely engage in it. The Bible is revelation from God. The Bible is life-giving law. The Bible is a story of God's deeds and promises, not ours. And number four, lastly, the Bible is more valuable than life itself. 
Verse 72 says, the law, of, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than a thousand pieces of silver and gold. The psalmist here says that the word of God is more valuable than a thousand pieces of silver and gold. He, he goes on to say in verse 109, he says, though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. He says, I hold my life lightly, but your law is more valuable. I hold it higher than my life. What level of importance does the Bible have in your life? How about in your family? Think about it like this. Men, dads, parents, if you found out that there was some kind of predator in your neighborhood and you let your kids go out and play with no supervision, what kind of dad or parent would you be? The Bible says that there is a predator that prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, to kill, steal, and destroy. Our children's only hope, your only hope, is the word of God. The only way that you can confront a lie is with the truth of God's word. See, when Satan attacked Jesus, Jesus quoted scripture. What will your kids come up with when Satan attacks them? And he will. Let me tell you, he is. See, Jesus didn't try to outwit Satan or lean on his own character and integrity that was above reproach. He quoted scripture. And this is one of the best things. You've heard me say this over and over, that one of the best things my parents did was force me to memorize scripture. And in the moment, I'll be honest with you, I may have hated it and I may have fought them. But can I tell you, I may have not grown up knowing all the lyrics on the local pop station, WVAQ out of Morgantown. I may have not have known all the stats of all my favorite football players, but when the enemy comes in, the word of God comes back to my memory. And my hope and desire and plan is that for Zeb, it's okay if he doesn't know all the pop songs on the radio. And and it's okay if he doesn't know all the stats of every WVU player of the year that he is in high school. It might hurt my heart a little bit, but it'll be okay. Because pop lyrics won't help him in his relationships. Football stats won't help him in his career. It's the word of God that will give him life and that speaks life. It was by the word that God created everything. It was by the word that Jesus was raised from the dead. It was by the word that blind were given sight. It is by the word that Revelation says he will destroy the works of the enemy and in the end make all things new. It is the word that will provide freedom from addiction and piece back together broken marriages and heal the sick. The word is the light, life, and salvation. By his word, he redeems, reconciles, and restores, and he renews. Let's look at the last verse in verse 176. It says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. And I think we read this verse at the end of this chapter and we go, whoa, like now there's like a contradiction again. Like there's this huge contradiction. The rest of this is a love poem. And throughout the Psalms, he says things like, I hate double-mindedness, but I'm double-minded. I love your word, but I have strayed. I love other stuff more. And he says to, he says to God, seek your servant. Make my heart love it. Does he love the word or not? And here's the answer. I think he's like you and I. I think he's like many of us. He wants to love it, but he knows his heart tends to be divided. 
So he resolves to love it and ask God to bring his heart into a line. He's like me. He's like the old, like the old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Christian growth begins by confessing to God what we are not and then asking him to make us into what we know we should be, what his word says we should be, what Jesus died for so we could be. Is your heart divided? Resolve to love God's word. Then ask God to bring your heart into a line. See, if we want to get in shape, we resolve to go to the gym. We resolve to eat healthy. We resolve to to make changes Even when we don't feel like it, even when other people distract us, even whenever life becomes busy, when things take our attention, we resolve to do those things. Let's resolve to be in God's word. The more you do it, the more the spirit man says, yes, yes, that felt good. Or maybe you might even say that hurt so good. You guys have been there before, right? That hurts so good. And the more, the more you do it, the more you will find a desire for it. See, I believe, I believe in our Christian circles is that, that the problem is not that we don't know how valuable the Bible is. The problem is, is that we have never brought our practice into line with what we believe. If I offered you a million dollars today to never touch the Bible again, to never hear it, to never read it, to never talk about it, or even think about it, would you accept that? No. People are sh- you're shaking your head. You're saying no. Most of you would say no. So think about that. You just identified the word of God as an asset worth over a million dollars. Is there any other million dollar asset that you would just ignore? That shows you the value you place on the word. Why are we not devouring it as a culture? Why are we not devouring it as believers? Why are we not devouring it as families, as individuals? I believe that we can change that together. Can't change it on our own. We can make steps to change it. But we can change that together. The importance of Scripture and the Bible in our lives. And a couple of weeks ago, you heard Pastor Paul talk about, talk about the Bible Engagement Project. And he even mentioned it a little bit earlier in our service. This is a journey that our church is going to embark on this fall. It's an age-aligned study that walks us through, by, through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And this study will help each of us grow in our understanding of, of God and his word and, and how they both are intended to transform our lives in order that we can, we can truly thrive, like our, our, like our mission statement is, helping people thrive by finding and following Jesus. It includes, it includes teaching and study for children, students, and, and adults. So families, we're all going to be doing this together to help us really dive into God's word across like generations. And so starting this October, we're going to engage on, a, on 30 topics that will be woven through the year from October through June. And that's going to be on Sunday services. It's going to be in Bridge Kids. It's going to be in student ministries. It's going to be in our community groups. And everyone's going to be learning the same thing at the same time. Diving into God's word together. And I, I'm, not, I'm not, you say, Pastor Rob, it sounds like an advertisement. It sounds like you're wrapping up your sermon with an advertisement for Bible Engagement Project. No, I'm not doing that because I truly believe when I say that this is going to completely 
revolutionize some of your lives. Some of you who were in Pastor Paul's class, Journey Through the Bible, seven weeks of journeying through the Bible, I heard, I've heard him share about eyes that were open to the word of God in seven weeks. Imagine what the transformation will take place in 30 weeks. In your life, in your family. Some of you are going to get your mind around the big picture of the Bible for the very first time. And it's all going to start making sense. I'll tell you that there's nothing better for your marriage. There's nothing better for your self-esteem. There's nothing better for your purpose. There's nothing better than knowing your place in God's story. Statistics say that in our Pentecostal evangelical churches, that just 21% are engaged with Scripture. Just 21%. That's 21% of you in this room. Studies say that 87% of American households have... 87% of American households have at least one Bible. There's not even church-going people. This is American households. And only one in five Americans have read through the entire Bible. When people are engaged in Scripture, it changes their lives. And I don't just mean their spiritual lives. It changes the way we live. And and look at some of these statistics. You put up the next slide. When we're engaged with Scripture, we reflect the fruit of the Spirit more. I mean, who wouldn't like their family members, their teenagers, to reflect some more self-control in their lives, right? Or how about some more kindness or goodness or faithfulness? The red lines are people who are highly engaged with Scripture, who are engaged in God's Word. The blue lines are, are low engagement or no engagement with Scripture. It's just, it, just, it just changes the way we live. If we go to the, go to the next slide, the next slide is, is life satisfaction, overall life satisfaction. People who are highly engaged with Scripture have more satisfaction in their family relationships, in their friendships, in their work, in their personal time and development, in, in work and life balance, in engagement in church. Every area of our lives will be transformed when we engage in Scripture, not just by ourselves, because I can tell you when I try to do it on my own, like, I fall short. We're going to do it as a large group. We're going to do it in, as individuals, in family time, and in, uh, and in our small group, in our community groups, in our small groups. Take a look at this video just, some, just, some, just for just a second. It's a two-minute video about the Bible Engagement Project. As our world continues to change, and as chaos dominates the headlines, people are looking for answers. But having a Bible on your shelf or on your phone isn't enough. We see every day believers who struggle to distinguish between the ways of God and the ways of the world. But a true biblical worldview requires more than a Bible. It requires believers to engage their Bible with an expectation of hearing from God and being changed by what they discover in it. Biblical engagement is never just a private discipline, though. It takes a community, a church. That's why we've developed Bible Engagement Project, a subscription that equips your church with digital Bible study resources and children's curriculum to engage all ages in Scripture. We envision churches committed to knowing God's Word with new clarity. Through Bible Engagement Project's age-aligned and community-based approach, we believe that's possible for every church, a biblical worldview shaped by a growing passion for Scripture. We are a people of this book. It's time we learned it shared it with the world. That's our hope for you and for your church. Will you join us?
Will you join us? <laughs> Will you join us as we dive into God's word together? See, I think that oftentimes we come to church on Sundays and we look at it and go, well, we're in this sermon series. No, I want you to look at October through June of this year as life transformation series. I'm going to jump on board because my life is going to be transformed by the word of God. It's digital Bible study tools that we're going to give you when you're going to be in groups, spend time in God's word. It'll cultivate a passion for more of God's word in your life. And, and, and it's not just going to transform you as an individual. It's going to transform your family. It's going to transform our church. I believe it's going to transform our community because what's inside of us, when we put God's word inside of us, it wants to come out. It wants to, wants to share out into, into our daily lives. Studies show that people who are engaged with Scripture are 52% more likely to experience joy and peace in their daily lives. Scripture brings peace, brings joy into our lives. And so, as you heard me say, it's going to happen through Sunday morning services, through community groups, through devotional time in your, in your own life, through kids' ministry, and, and through our student ministry. And, and I think what is awesome is that it is tailored for each age group. So adult Sunday services, bridge kids services, student large group services, and then four devotionals throughout the week for each one of us. So four devotionals for adults, not seven, so you're not going to be like drowning in this, right? It's four devotionals each week for, uh, for adults, for students, for families to sit and do it together. So it's broken up into those age groups. And, and, and then through community group studies, we're going to be engaged scripture together. And I just want to show this next, this next slide because this, this, like, some of these statistics like, sh- like rocked me. Like, when you say highly engaged with Scripture, like, I think people think, like, I'm spending an hour each day reading God's Word. Now, no, they're taking it at, from the idea of like four times a week. Someone who engages with the Bible four more times a week is 228% more likely to share their faith with others. Like, that's transformational. more likely to memorize scripture. Well, that kind of makes sense, right? Because if I'm reading scripture, then I'm going to want more of the scripture in my life, right? 59% less likely to view pornography. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness by just engaging the word of God four times a week. So I want you to think about it like this. I want you to think about it as 1%. 1%. At least 1%. We're asking our church, come October, to give 1% of each day to be in God's Word. That's roughly 15 minutes, 14.4 minutes if you must know exactly. 1% of each week to large group Bible study time. That's Sunday services. 1% of each week. And then 1% of each month to being in community Bible study, into community groups. If you want to know what 1% of... Each month, it equivalents to eight hours a month to community groups. That's two hours a week of being in, in community group Bible study together. 1%. Can you join with me to give 1% this fall? So if our worship team would come, I'm excited about Bible engagement kicking off this fall. And you're going to hear more about it over the upcoming weeks. And if you want more information, you can hop on the web. You can just go to our church website. And at the top, there's a link that says Bible Engagement. It's going to have more information there. But this morning, you say, okay, Pastor Rob, like, you talked about the Bible a lot this morning and from Psalms 119. And this is coming in the fall. What about right now? What about right now? What can I do right now? 
to get God's word in my life, to engage with scripture more? Well, here's, here's some very practical things you can do. Number one, get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, there are Bibles in the seat, in the seat pockets in front of you. Get a study Bible. If you don't, one of my favorites is, is the Fire Bible is a new version. I, I love this Bible. It's called Life in the Spirit Study Bible. They don't make this anymore, but the Fire Bible is the new version of this. The footnotes are about all the same in the Fire Bible is what's in this Bible. This is what I study with every week. Love this. This is what I read every morning. That is my Bible. I love that Bible. Get a study Bible. Every study Bible has a pros and cons, but it's going to help you understand God's Word. You say, what translation? I like NIV which is New International Version. I like English Standard Version. But I'm thoroughly convinced that the best version that you can use is the version that you will read. Does that make sense? So the best version is the version that you will read. New Living Translation, King James Version, whatever version you will read. Number two, start reading. Start reading. If you're not in Scripture, start somewhere. Start spending 15 minutes a day in the word of God. Maybe you say, what should I read? Start in the gospel. Start with the gospel of John. Then begin to plan now for October through June to give one time a week to small group Bible study time, to give one, your Sunday mornings to being engaged in service, to giving 15 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day in personal devotional time or family devotional time. What are the most important things in your life? Are you like the psalmist that says, my heart is torn, right? I tend to wonder, and I think sometimes my time is torn, is what we say in our culture. I want to love God's word, but there's this other stuff that's going on in my life and in my schedule. Start cleaning your schedule now. Make this a priority this fall for you and for your family for you and for your family. 1% of your day, 1% of your week, 1% of your month. And our goal is 100% church participation from kids through adults. You can hop on the website, on our website to see our plan. And and we're looking for for small group leaders, people who would lead Bible engagement groups. We're gonna give you tools. We're gonna train you. We're gonna guide you as a leader. We're looking for people who would say, I would give two hours a week to leading a a group for Bible engagement. I'm excited about this opportunity for you, for me, for our families, for our church, for our community. I believe that as we do this together as a church, our hearts and lives will begin to echo the same love for scripture as we read in Psalms 119. I'm going to just read a few verses starting in verse 97. It says, Oh, how I love your law. How I love your word, Lord. I meditate, it, meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statues. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to, to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your word that is an anchor for our lives, 
That's a filter. That's a straight edge that we gauge our life. Thank you for your word that illuminates our path. Thank you for your word that is the story of your redemption, of your love for us. A story of your son sending Jesus to pay a debt that we could never pay on our own, that we might be in relationship with our creator. Father, I pray that if our hearts are divided this morning, that your word would unite. Father, I pray that as a church, as we begin to engage in your word, would you place a passion inside of each one of us? I pray that this week, as we start spending 1% of our day in your word, that transformation would begin to happen. God, I pray that your word would continually be on our lips. May it be like honey in our mouths. Lord, we praise you and we worship you. We thank you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to invite our prayer team to come. And um, if you're here and you would like prayer, we believe that the same God that we see in Scripture, we see in the Word, is the same God that is here today and that He hasn't changed. And we would love to pray with you. And uh, we would love to pray with you this morning. If you need to leave, you can leave quietly as the, as the worship team uh, plays this morning. Um, this morning, church, let's set, a, let's set our sights. Let's put our, put our crosshairs on being engaged with Scripture this morning.